After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and, and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I, may, I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh, and, have, and have, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. There he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled but what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I, had, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and, refi and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go, go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, he heard, he, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town of Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Thank you. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this passage from Matthew, and we pray now that as we come to consider it, that you would uh, open our minds and soften our hearts. Uh, that we would live with Jesus as our King. And in his name we pray. Amen. I think that there are some parts of the Christmas story that seem to be completely lacking from all of the Christmas cards and the carols and the Christmas pageants. 
Uh, can you think of what parts I might be thinking of? Well, how about the butchering to death of every baby boy under the age of two uh, in the city of Bethlehem? How about that? Or how about uh, Joseph and Mary and uh, Jesus fleeing as refugees uh, to Egypt in order to avoid the massacre? I, I, I haven't seen too many Christmas cards depicting those scenes lately, have you? And uh, unsurprisingly, of course not. And yet, these are just as much a part of the Christmas story as the angels and the shepherds and the magi uh, with their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Uh, these are essential elements of the Christmas story. And that's why, having just at Christmas time looked at Matthew chapter 1, uh, we haven't stopped there. Because if you only read chapter 1 without chapter 2, then the impression that you can easily get of Jesus is uh, just a, a sweet baby born in a fantasy world of uh, sugar-coated innocence, uh, rather than a Jesus who was born into tyranny, uh, rather than a Jesus who was born uh, whose birth, whose very existence threatened those who were in power, and rather than a Jesus who demands obedience, the obedience of our lives, of your life, uh, of my life. Because the, the birth of Jesus uh, sparked uh, one of the blackest events in the history of, Egypt, uh, of, of Israel, and that is the appalling mass murder of little children uh, by King Herod. Uh, this morning I want us to explore um, this personality, this person, King Herod, and the issue of, of kingship uh, at the time. Who was King Herod and why was he so callous as to butcher uh, all of those innocent baby boys? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read through the Gospels and also through the book of Acts, uh, I find the issue of Herod a little bit uh, confusing. I sometimes get confused about Herod and I think that's because there's actually five different Herods that are uh, talked about in the Gospels and in Acts. Uh, there is Herod the Great, there's Herod Archelaus, there's Herod Antipas, there's Herod Agrippa and just to make things more confusing there's also another Herod Agrippa. And so it can be confusing for us. Hopefully today we can clear up some of that confusion. But I want to start by thinking about this particular Herod, uh, the Herod that we meet uh, in this passage. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we read that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that it was in, during the time of this King Herod. And we actually know quite a bit about him. Uh, not necessarily from the Bible, but we know a lot about him because of records outside of the Bible, uh, in, in history books and other records. Uh, we know that he was not a Jew. Uh, we know that his father was an influential man who in 47 BC uh, had been appointed by Julius Caesar to be the procurator, that is the administrator of Judea. Uh, it was his father 
who appointed Herod to be in charge of the military. And uh, last week we uh, talked about the Parthians and how the Parthians had invaded at one point in time. Well, it was the Parthians who took over Palestine in 40 BC and it was this Herod, the Herod we meet in Matthew chapter 2, who was commander of the military and who drove them out. And because of that, the Roman Senate gave him the position and the title of the king of the Jews. Uh, he was also called Herod the Great, and for good reason, uh, humanly speaking at least. He achieved great military successes for Caesar, he built new cities, he built uh, lots of infrastructure, entertainment facilities, great buildings, he built a palace in Jerusalem, for himself of course, uh, and he also built the temple in Jerusalem, and that's the temple that uh, we read about uh, in the Gospels and in Acts, uh, the temple that Jesus himself visited. So what do we make of this man? He was a capable warrior, he was a gifted orator, and he was a shrewd politician. Uh, he kept Caesar happy, and he also liked to keep his subjects happy as well. He gave taxes back to people when things were not going so well for them in the economy. In fact, in 25 BC, there was a great famine and Herod melted down some of the gold objects in his palace to give the money to feed the poor. But it was all about him. Herod was a man who held tightly to his grip on power. One of his wives was named Mariamne. Uh, he married her because she belonged to one of the most respected families, Jewish families, in the uh, intertestamental period, the period between the Old and the New Testament, the Hasmonean family. And he thought that by marrying her, marrying into that family, that that would um, gain him prestige amongst the Jews. A little bit like, I guess, um, an American um, politician marrying into the Kennedy family. Uh, to gain prestige for themselves. But he was always afraid of losing power. And if he, if he suspected anyone of plotting to take his throne, he didn't mess about. He would kill them, no matter who they were. Uh, he had his wife's uh, brother drowned, and then he provided a magnificent funeral where he pretended to weep. Uh, he then had his wife killed. Uh, he killed her mother. He also had three of his sons killed um, because he suspected them of wanting to usurp his throne. So by the time we meet Herod in Matthew chapter 2, he's actually an old man and he knew that people were just waiting for him to die. Uh, he was a tyrant and they couldn't vote him out. The only way that they would get relief from this man's tyranny would be his death. And so they looked forward to his death and Herod knew that people were looking forward to his death. Herod knew that on the day that he died um, there, there would be rejoicing 
They'd be dancing in the streets. And so what he did was he had a whole group of prominent Jewish community leaders rounded up and put into prison. Uh, and he gave the order and made the order known that when he died, that all of them were also to be executed. And that way he guaranteed uh, that upon his death, the news of his death would be met with weeping and with mourning. Uh, and that's the kind of man that he was. Now, so far, this has actually been a second-rate sermon <laughs> because all of this comes from the history books. We haven't yet really gotten to the Bible. But I think it's actually valuable background information because it helps us to understand Herod's reaction when the Magi came and visited him with this great news <laughs> and they dropped their little bombshell on him say that, uh, well, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because we've come in order to worship him. Tell us where he is. Oh, my goodness. I mean, as we saw last week, Herod was disturbed by this news. Of course he was disturbed by this news. The man was a control freak. The man, and it adds a fresh, a fresh dimension to verse 8, doesn't it? Uh, where he asked the Magi, he says, look, when you find where, he's, where he was born, come back and tell me, because I too would love to go and worship him. Hardly. He murdered his brother-in-law, he murdered his mother-in-law, he murdered his wife, he murdered his three sons, because they wanted to be king. <laughs> they wanted to sit on his throne. You reckon he'd want to worship the baby that was actually born to be king? Of course not. And so he plots to kill him. And this, I think, helps us to understand the massacre that uh, goes on uh, in Bethlehem. But God is sovereign. And God is sovereign over kings and all of their plots and all of their scheming. And there are a couple of extraordinary things in this passage that was read to us earlier on. Particularly, we're looking at the second part of the passage this week. And firstly, uh, God's plans uh, for the Saviour would not be thwarted. Um, God protected Jesus by guiding the Magi and by guiding uh, Joseph through dreams. Uh, in verse 12... Uh, we read that the Magi were warned in a dream uh, not to go back to Herod. Um, in verse 13, it says this, if you have a look at verse 13, uh, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and uh, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And again, if you... Go down to verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are now dead. Now, generally, God guides us through um, his word, the scriptures, um, the uh, truth of his word and the wisdom of his word. Uh, the birth of Jesus was... Uh, so special that there was this great outbreak of 
angelic activity and dreams. Um, the angel uh, spoke to Joseph and Mary about the pregnancy. Angels appeared to the shepherds. Because this was the most important event uh, in all of history. Uh, this is the event by which we actually split up history, don't we? I mean, it's ridiculous these days. They call it before the common era and the common era, where the only commonality about it is the birth of Jesus, <laughs> instead of saying before Christ and AD and O Domini in the year of our Lord. 2019 this was the most important event in history and it required great guidance special guidance from God secondly Matthew chapter 2 is packed with the fulfillment of prophecies and the prophecies tell us two things number one that uh, this king would be a very humble king when Herod asked the chief priests back in verse 4 where the king would be born, they quoted from the prophet Micah. Uh, if you have a look in verse 6, what Micah says, Micah says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will become a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So Bethlehem, considered to be a small, insignificant place, and saying, No, actually, out of you will come a great ruler, my ruler. Uh, but yet, in verse 23, after Joseph brought his family back uh, from Egypt, they went to live in Nazareth. And Matthew says that that was to fulfil what the prophets had said, that he would be a Nazarene. Uh, what kind of king would he be? Uh, one like Herod, who lived in an opulent palace that he built for himself? Would he be a, a leader approved by Caesar? Someone who married into a prestigious family, perhaps? No, uh, he would come from Nazareth. And do you remember what they said about Nazareth in those days? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a despised place, not a place of great prestige. Just like King David, Jesus was from humble stock. Now secondly, the prophecies teach us that God saves his people. Uh, in verse 14, when uh, they fled to Egypt, Matthew quotes from the prophet Hosea. Let me read to you from that. Uh, we'll look at uh, verse 14, actually. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, of course, when Hosea uh, writes that, he's writing about Egypt, as Michelle explained earlier, uh, coming out of being brought by God out of their slavery uh, under Pharaoh in Egypt and that God has adopted Israel uh, to be his son. Now, this prophecy is being applied to Jesus. The Jesus that, through, that uh, Jesus is like Israel coming out of, uh, 
of, of their slavery uh, and that God is a saving God. And then when Herod butchers the children in verse 17, Matthew quotes from the prophet Jeremiah uh, where it says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Again, this is a prophecy which is about God's people suffering under tyranny uh, in the exile in Babylon. But what Matthew is saying is that this prophecy is actually being fulfilled in the slaughter of the innocent children. As if Israel is still in exile, is still suffering and is still waiting to be brought out of exile, is still waiting for its deliverer, for its salvation. Both of these prophecies are about God saving his people, about God's people being in tyranny and about salvation that comes through God from Egypt and then from Babylon. Now Jesus is the one who saves us from the tyrant of this age. Who is not the Pharaoh of Egypt, he's not Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, nor is it Herod. Uh, it's Satan. Jesus came to die on a cross to free us from the tyranny of sin. And no petty dictator was going to thwart God's plans. So, how did this particular petty dictator, Herod the Great, how did he go? Uh, what, what did Herod's uh, dynasty uh, look like? Well, he died when Jesus was about one year old. And, uh, uh, and that's why um, uh, you know, Jesus was able to return from, from Egypt. Uh, in his will, Herod bequeathed parts of his kingdom to uh, three of his sons. So his son, Herod Archelaus, inherited Judea. Now, he was a tyrant like his dad. And that's why Jesus ended up growing up in Nazareth and not going uh, to Bethlehem. Archelaus was uh, so bad that after 10 years... Uh, Caesar exiled him. Caesar got rid of him. The next Herod we meet is another son, and that is Herod Antipas. Uh, he was put in charge of Galilee, uh, when uh, uh, John, the, which is you know when John the Baptist and Jesus were grown men. Uh, it was this Herod who served up John's head on a platter. Uh, to his delightful wife Herodias. Um, Jesus once denounced him as being that fox. Uh, when Jesus was arrested, it was to this Herod Antipas that Pilate sent him. Uh, Luke chapter 23 tells us that uh, this Herod Antipas mocked Jesus, that he, he dressed him up in a gown. 
He dressed him up in a royal-looking gown, mockingly uh, as if he were the king of the Jews. But Herod Antipas fell foul of Caesar as well, and he also ended his days in exile. Uh, Then after the resurrection of Jesus, we we meet um, Herod Agrippa, Herod the Great's grandson. But even he could not escape the kingship of Jesus. Uh, I wonder if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 12 for a moment. Now... In Acts chapter 12, we uh, read about uh, the, um, the apostles and their interactions with the civil authorities. I'm going to read to you verses 1 to 3. Everyone got that? Acts 12, 1 to 3. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. How about that, eh? And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then as it goes on, we read that in fact Herod, this particular Herod, Agrippa, having put Peter into prison, that an angel came and an angel rescued Peter. This particular Herod met a grisly end himself. Um, Have a look at verse 21. Verse 21. Actually, you'll start verse 19 or just before that. It says, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not praise God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. I imagine you would die if you were eaten by worms. He met a grisly end, didn't he? How is the dynasty of Herod going so far? And yet, if you just look at the very next verse, although this Herod is dead, we're told that the word of God, that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, continued to increase and to spread. Now, the last Herod was Agrippa's son, who was also called Agrippa. Uh, In Acts chapters 25 and 26, that is when the Apostle Paul was on trial. And he was on trial before this Herod, this King Agrippa. 
And on trial before Herod, he looks him in the eye and he tells him that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord. He tells him that he himself once hated the fact that people followed Jesus as king. In fact, Paul tells Herod that he wanted, he wanted them dead. He wanted them imprisoned and, 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 and dead. And he set about that as his life's work until on the Damascus road that a blazing light from heaven shone around him and in hearing a voice that he met the risen King Jesus. Herod the Great tried to kill the baby Jesus. Herod Antipas mocked Jesus. Herod Agrippa killed and imprisoned the apostles. And now Herod's great-grandson is still having to deal with Jesus. In AD 100, he died without leaving an heir. So ends the dynasty of Herod. So whose dynasty rules? Here now, uh, 2,000 years later, there are literally hundreds of millions of people down through the ages, people spread across the globe in every, every part of the world. People from every nation, from every race, from every language group who name Jesus as King Jesus. King Jesus. He is the King of Kings. And therefore, each one of us must submit our lives to him in order to be saved. When Paul uh, evangelised the last Herod, listen to what Agrippa said to him. He said to Paul, and I quote, Do you think that you can persuade me in such a short time to become a Christian? The first King Agrippa tried to take the life of the newborn King Jesus. This last Herod was challenged to give his life to the resurrected King Jesus. And so I just want to ask you this question. What, what about you? What about your life? Um, what if you were to die today? Uh, would you know that Jesus is truly your saviour? Is he your king? Does he rule your life? Have you given your life over to serving him because of the way that he served you on the cross? If not, then it's time to do so. Have you submitted your life to King Jesus? Uh, Paul's reply to Herod was quite clear, actually, when he said to him, you know, do you reckon you could convert me into such a short period of time? And he says to him, short time or long time, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today would become says Paul, as I am, a follower of King Jesus. That you would become as I am, except for these chains. That was Paul's prayer for King 
Herod Agrippa. That should be our prayer as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for, uh, for your plan of salvation. That uh, the Davidic king uh, was born and now sits on the throne because he died and he was raised from the dead. Uh, and that he's, he's the ruler over the whole universe. Father, we pray that Jesus would rule in the hearts and the lives of many, many more people. We pray for ourselves that we would be those who trust in him, that by his death on the cross that he has defeated the, the great tyrant Satan, and he's, that he's wiped away the, um, the record of our sin by his sacrifice. That by his resurrection, that he's indeed shown to be the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray that we would be those who submit our lives to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.